Hello and welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it with Nick's Roundup. Go ahead, Nick, with the Pop Culture Roundup. Well, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Let's talk about one of the biggest things to hit was the trailers, the newest trailers, for Spider-Man Far From Home, and people are going rabid over it. A lot of people are picking apart the trailers, trying to figure out little bits and pieces to try and figure out what's going on in this movie when we're going to see it on the 18th anyway, and everyone will know that at that point. You know, Nick, i got to be honest, I'm just stopping watching the trailers altogether. I know all I need to know about it, and the fact that uh, we have Alfred Molina back as Dr. Octopus looks like... Dafoe! Is back as Green Goblin. We have Jamie Foxx doing uh, Electro. You know, this is going to be a really interesting movie. Oh, it really is. And, like, watching some of the reactions for, on Twitter and social media about this is insane. Like, like a group of people picked apart the Brazilian trailer to be like, Oh, you can see the lizard, who is back, get punched in the face by no one. So clearly, Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield are back in it. The hype is there. It looks spectacular. And everybody is just salivating over it at this point. And this sets us up for Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. It does. And I think it's going to set us up for a lot of different stuff in the coming in the coming years. It looks it looks great. I really hope it's the introduction of the X-Men and stuff like that, but that's again speculation. Now, staying online with Marvel and more speculation. So Kevin Feige, he has said that Charlie Cox, who played Daredevil in the Netflix Daredevil TV series and The Defenders, is the MCU's Daredevil. Now, that's a really neat little thing because at no point, at no point has Kevin Feige said that there's any project on the horizon with Charlie Cox as a Daredevil. He just said this and people are excited. And it really, really shows how good of a hype man Kevin Feige is. He just says this and people lose their minds. Either way... And again, going back to speculation, Spider-Man appears to need a, a lawyer in No Way Home, so maybe that'll be it. It could be. We don't know. So, and that's really a really cool thing, because I really like Charlie Cox as Daredevil. I would love to see him back as Daredevil. I'd love to see Vincent D'Onofrio back as the Kingpin. You know, Kingpin was originally a Spider-Man villain that kind of got co-opted by Daredevil, so I would love to see... Tom Holland's Peter Parker interact with Kingpin. I think that'd be great. I always thought that the Kingpin worked better as a Daredevil villain than it, a Spider-Man villain. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Now, speaking of Daredevils, I just wanted to briefly mention Jeff Hardy. Now, Jeff Hardy, if you're a pro wrestling fan, is probably one of the biggest names in the past 20 to 30 years. Huge Daredevil in WWE. He has been released again. Which sucks, but it is what it is. Honestly, at this point, I just hope Jeff is happy, healthy, and safe, and that everything's going okay for him when he lands on his feet. And speaking of the wrestling world, WWE Hall of Famer Blackjack Lanza has passed away on December 8th. Sadly, horror author Anne Rice has passed away. If you're not familiar with Anne Rice's work, she wrote The Vampire Chronicles, which include Interview with a Vampire, which was turned into a movie starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Also, of Monkeys fame, Mike Nesmith has passed away. I remember watching The Monkeys as a kid. I was so great growing up in the 70s because we saw all of those wonderful sitcoms from the 1960s that included the monkeys that included beverly hillbillies gilligan's island and the monsters speaking of the monsters nick Mm -hmm. 
Rob Zombie has teased us yet again with what's coming up with his version of the Munsters. Sylvester McCoy of Doctor Who fame and The Hobbit has joined the cast, and he is playing a character named Igor. Igor is a loyal servant of the Munsters. Now, if you are familiar with the 1960s sitcom The Munsters, you know that Igor is Grandpa's pet bat. Really? Yes. So I'm really curious to know if this character, played by Sylvester McCoy... Igor is going to at some point turn into the bat version. Everything I've seen about this Rob Zombie movie, The Munsters Coming Up, has been faithful to The Munsters, and it looks beautiful, which I kind of came to expect from Rob Zombie. His movies, whether you like them or not, are beautiful to look at. That's true. They're very visually stunning. Like looking at Halloween 2, House of Eleven Corpses, he has a really unique eye. Mm-hmm. Speaking of unique things... If you are a Riverdale fan, if you are a fan of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, you know what has happened this last week. Sabrina Spellman, played by Kiernan Shipka, has finally come back and she did the crossover into Riverdale. I was living for it because I just loved The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I thought it was the most unique and wonderful version of that character that we've seen so far on Netflix. Check it out. Yeah, it's really good. Well, that's it for the roundup. Now we're going to get right into our topics. And guess what, folks? Guess what the topic is this week? It is Christmas. It is Christmas movies. We are just days away from the big event. And so, Nick, let's just talk about Christmas movies. First of all, what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? Well, John, most people tend to think that just because a movie takes place at Christmas, it automatically makes it a Christmas movie. I don't think that is necessarily the case, do you? No, and I'll give you a good example about that. Mimi in St. Louis, old movie with Judy Garland in it. She sings uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. There is one scene that takes place at Christmas time. It is sort of a year in the life of this family that is in St. Louis, and it's building up to them going to the World's Fair, which was held in St. Louis. They go through different parts of the year. So saying that Meet Me in St. Louis is a Christmas movie because it has this Christmas scene in it, and Judy Garland sings Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, you could say it's a Halloween movie because there's this whole section of the movie that takes place at Halloween. At that point, it's as much a Christmas movie as, say... Jaws of Revenge. Jaws of Revenge takes place, the majority of it takes place during Christmas. The fact that it takes place at Christmas is completely superfluous to the story. So that brings us to the question then, Nick. What makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? Now, in order to answer that question, the first point that has to be made is that the genre of Christmas movie doesn't really exist. That's true. That is true. Okay, it's either a fantasy, a horror, a comedy, or a drama that has Christmas as its theme. Well, let I mean, yeah, let's look at just three movies off the top of my head that are favorite Christmas movies. The Santa Claus with Tim Allen is a comedy that takes place during Christmas. The Nightmare Before Christmas is a fantasy. And <laughs> Die Hard is an action film. Okay, and that's a perfect example because, as we know... There are some people out there that it's not Christmas Eve unless Hans Gruber falls from the Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah, and for me, personally, there are certain movies that I watch to get me into the Christmas spirit, and some of those are controversially Christmas movies, like Gremlins. Gremlins is a horror comedy. takes place at Christmas. I watch it every year, only specifically at Christmas time, to help get me into the Christmas mood. 
Right. And I love Gremlins, and I love the fact that it takes place at Christmas time, but it was released in the summertime. So, does the release date have anything to do with whether or not it's a Christmas movie? No, I don't think so. And to that point, Miracle on 34th Street, undeniably a Christmas movie. Miracle on 34th Street, starring Edmund Gwynn and Natalie Wood, came out in the summertime. Did it really? It did, yeah, way back when. And they, the, even when they were marketing it, they marketed it as a romance, they marketed it as a comedy, they marketed it as a drama. There's a whole uh, trailer talking about how they were going to market this movie. So the Christmas aspect was truly a backdrop to it. Well, yes and no, and this is why we get the confusion. So, we've asked the question, what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? We've talked about, briefly, a couple of movies that might have some confusion to them. So we know it's not the release date, because Miracle on 34th Street, undeniably a Christmas movie. Right. Gremlins, arguably a Christmas movie. Right. Jaws the Revenge, not Not a a Christmas Christmas movie. movie. We're not going to get into the war on Die Hard. Oh, no, that's a bad life choice. So what makes it a Christmas movie? Is it enough to be set at Christmas time? No, that's not enough. But it has to be about Christmas. Because you mentioned the Santa Claus. I mentioned Miracle on 34th Street. They are about Christmas. Yeah, that's true. I mean... The Santa Claus wouldn't make sense if it took place during summer and didn't involve Christmas at all. Exactly. It's the same with Miracle on 34th Street. It can't take place at any other time but Christmas time because the whole point is, is Mr. Kringle the real Santa Claus? There's the whole court trial as to whether or not he's saint. And the whole idea of bringing all the letters to Santa to the courtroom That is a Christmas movie because it is about Christmas or the Christmas miracle or things about Christmas. Right. I completely agree. Now, with trepidation, John, let's wade in just a little bit to the Die Hard discussion. Oh my God, do we have to? Yeah, we do. It's part of the podcast. This is happening. I guess since we are talking about what makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie, we can't do it without discussing the war between factions on whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. I have seen all of the arguments for it being a Christmas movie. What are some of them, Nick? Well, my favorite one... Well, I mean, obviously the the main one is, well, it takes place at Christmas, so therefore it's a Christmas movie. Okay, but we can throw that out. Okay. So here's the thing. Hans Gruber and his group decide to do what they did on Christmas Eve because the company was holding their Christmas party at that time. Their entire plan was based on deception. They were The deception was that they were robbing everybody. Everybody had to be in the building at that time for them to pull off their plan. Therefore, the only reason for... The plot was Christmas. Okay. I know it's a bit of a stretch, but that's one of the reasons it's been given. Well, that's why we have to ask the question. Could this movie take place at any other time of year and be just as effective? You mentioned Gremlins. If we look at Gremlins 2, the Gremlins are running around uh, in New York. It is not Christmas. There is no Christmas backdrop. It works pretty well. So, can Die Hard work at any other time of the year? Well, and that's kind of a, an iffy question, because realistically, within the plot that they made for that movie, not really. Because, again, the terrorists are doing, or, well, the terrorists are doing what they're doing at Christmas time because of the people that are in the building. John McClane is in Los Angeles 
because it's Christmas time. He's there to see the wife and kids. It's a bit contrived that it is Christmas, but it exists only because Christmas is happening and the Christmas party is happening. But is it enough? That's kind of a judgment call. For me, it's enough. I will watch Die Hard at Christmas time. But here's the thing, though. I'll also watch Die Hard any other time of the year. Right. The other movies that I watch, even Gremlins, I don't watch any other time of the year. I tried watching Gremlins once during the summer. It didn't feel right. I felt kind of icky. It was weird. But, <laughs> but like, that's the thing. is like These movies exist kind of in a vacuum. But I think the difference between Gremlins and Die Hard is all the imagery that is in Gremlins. You have the Bavarian snowman ornament that Polly Holiday brings in and accuses the dog of breaking. Right. You have the fact that the Gremlins string Barney up uh, with Christmas lights. You have them delivering Christmas letters and the Gremlins are in the, the mailbox attacking the, the town. Even when when the mother is alone in the house and Billy calls her to warn her about the gremlins and you hear them play the music, do you hear what I hear on the on the, the, the vinyl record? Everything there is really, really Christmas. That entire scene is indicative of a Christmas film gone horribly wrong because they got, do you see what I see? She's making Christmas cookies and you have the, the part where she gets attacked by the gremlin in the tree. Yes. Any other movie, that would have been frightening. But Joe Dante made it really palatable for a family audience. But then we also get the story uh, as to why Kate, played by Phoebe Cates, hates Christmas. Because that sort of brings the horror back into the this horror comedy. Yeah, it does. Because it's a, the story that she tells is a very harrowing little tale of her father dying. And it's, it just really drags you into the despair of this movie because really what's happening in this film is it's Christmas Eve and these monsters are rioting all over the town. And that's part of the reason I enjoy it. I like morbid stuff. The movie is completely morbid. <laughs> <laughs> like just the idea of these monsters destroying a poor little town. That, And if you read into it, the town's already going through a lot of bad stuff financially. We know that Billy's parents are financially screwed. We know that the town is, a lot of stuff's getting foreclosed on. You yeah, people, Mrs. Deagle owns pretty much most of the town. Yeah, you've got the people, the, the one woman and her kids begging Mrs. Deagle in a very uh, wonderful life moment not to foreclose on them because they got a new job. You've got the pub that's be, trying to be dubbed as a, uh, a historical landmark so it doesn't get shut down. Yeah, the and Kate is working there for free to yeah. help the pub owner keep the business going. So it's not really your typical Christmas movie. It has these hallmarks where you have the miserly character, Mrs. Deagle, who is foreclosing on people and just screwing with them. And it's very reminiscent of It's a Wonderful Life. And you think, oh, well, this woman's going to find the hope of Christmas and everything will be okay. Nope, she dies. She gets she killed by the crowd. She gets her for muffins. <laughs> Boy, does she ever. Oh, you know, one of my favorite things about her, though, is all of her cats, all the multitude of cats, are all named after different world currencies. <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, that's what she values. She She's, values money. She yeah. values uh, wealth. Well, and that's the thing. In the movie, she says, the bank and I have the same purpose, to make money. And she's a completely disgusting character, and I'm glad she gets popped in the end. 
But anyway. Oh, but she anyway. dead. Oh, she, she dead, dead. She ain't a little dead. She all the way dead. <laughs> oh. oh and, and in a great way, too. I mean, that's really a fantastic moment that we hadn't seen before, like using the, the assist chairlift to just whip her out the window. John, the first time I saw an assisted chairlift when I was a kid, I freaked out because I thought that was going to happen. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. The power that it would take for something like that to actually happen I is, is uh, really quite impossible, honestly. So anyway, back to our point. So here we are, and um, Gremlins gets a little confusing because, as I said, did it need to take place at Christmas time? The reason writers do that is because it is supposed to be this wonderful time that Dickens has set up, a charitable time of year where you think about your fellow man, where goodwill is there, where you're supposed to be having fun, you're supposed to be having a wonderful time, you're supposed to be thinking about kith and kin, if you will. And so it makes a great backdrop for all of the other shenanigans to happen. Yeah, shenanigans, I like that. Now, let's look at a more definitively Christmas movie, but it's still a comedy, right? So let's look at National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Because here's the thing with this one. Definitely a Christmas movie. It's in the title. But it's a bit more of less of a family Christmas movie and more of an adult Christmas movie. That's true. And unlike a lot of the other movies that we mentioned, this movie has to take place at Christmas time because it is about Christmas. It is the story of Clark Griswold trying to give his family a good old-fashioned Christmas and all the foibles that he meets that just ruin it for him. And every father out there can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, we can. I remember one year I had to build a dollhouse for my daughter. It was the most aggravating thing ever because it wouldn't build properly. And that was my own fault. But that's the thing is like Christmas vacation is incredibly relatable because you look at the things that happen in it. You've got the track to go out and look for the tree at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. You've got not just putting up the lights, but checking each and every light to make sure they all work. That is the most aggravating thing you can do during Christmas. And, you know, it's brilliantly written because right from the get-go, we know who the Griswolds are. We know that from previous vacation movies. But you've got Audrey and you've got Russ. Now, they've changed the age and the characters a little bit in that, which is fine because it does sort of stand alone from the other vacation movies. But, as I said, every father can relate to trying to give his family that perfect Christmas, but every mother can relate to having to put up with her husband <laughs> trying to do these things. And the kids, they don't really want to be there. They've hauled him out into the snow. He's now starting to have this fight with these redneck truckers that just... And, right? and Beverly D'Angelo's sitting there going, Oh, Clark, just let it go. And what's he do? Flips them off the bird and off they go. And they practically kill themselves getting under the truck and practically kill themselves by running into a snowblower. You know, I, I love how just ridiculously deadpan Chevy Chase is in that film. That's his shtick. He's always been that way and he's been great at it. And and also that clumsiness, that that idea of sort of being clumsy and falling down and he perfected that on Saturday Night Live. He's so good. You know, and honestly, I believe that Christmas Vacation is actually the best vacation film. I agree with that. At the end of the day, it's the most relatable. There's people that can relate to the first vacation because they've done that cross-country trip to vacation point A 
there's there's people that can relate to European vacation because they've done that, even Las Vegas vacation. But not everybody has done those things. But we've all been through Christmas. We've, we've all, all been, been through, through it. We've all been through the holidays, and we can. It's so easy to relate to, and it's and so the funny. hell that sometimes comes with it. Yeah, and you know, like that's the thing with Chevy Chase's character with Clark Griswold is every time he does something, I just face palm because he just plays such a hapless moron and the beauty of it is because this is a slapstick comedy yeah it just continues to build the momentum doesn't stop from the very moment that the opening credits roll until the very end you're right about that because the movie doesn't really give you it has a couple of spots where it gives you a moment to breathe with this movie i didn't have the attachment to it that a lot of people i know did because I was, it wasn't popular in, in Britain, and when I came here, I just didn't latch onto it. But then a girlfriend of mine had me sit down and watch it. Now, it was a, it was a couple years ago, 35 at the time. She was much more into watching my reaction to this film than actually watching it herself, because she'd seen the movie a billion times. And man, I had no idea what I was missing. That last act, where Cousin Eddie goes off to do what he does, I died I legitimately corpsed right there and then. I could not stop laughing. I could barely breathe because I could not believe what was happening. It was so ridiculous and so amazing and so intense and so funny. And everybody in that movie is hilarious. Oh, and perfectly cast, too. I just think it's a wonderful movie. But there there again, prime example that for exactly what we're talking about, that this movie could not work at any other time other than Christmas because the movie itself isn't about the family. It is about Christmas and trying to give the family a good Christmas. Right. right. So that brings us back to the whole debate that we're having with Die Hard. And that's the thing. With is the movie about Christmas? No, it's not. The movie itself is about a man who is just trying to save his wife from terrorist robber people from Snape and <laughs> yeah you like that one okay okay just just as a side I saw a meme that explained Die Hard like this it's about a guy sneaking around a tower trying to avoid Alan Rickman it's not a Christmas movie it's a Harry Potter movie <laughs> speaking of Harry Potter in this discussion Many of the Harry Potter films did come out at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. We've already established that just because a movie comes out in the summer or at another time of year does not necessarily make it a Christmas movie. Harry Potter has scenes that take place at Christmas, and they're wonderful scenes, but it is not a Christmas movie. Whereas Edward Scissorhands actually is a Christmas movie. And a lot of people won't think of it like a Christmas movie. But the whole thing is it starts with the older Winona Ryder as the grandmother mm-hmm. telling her granddaughter the story of where snow comes from. And it takes place at Christmas time. She's telling her this wonderful bedtime story. This is how snow was made. This is why we have snow at Christmas time. And it's st- then we get into the Edward Scissorhands story and it gets wrapped up at the end. At Christmas time, where she says, No, you gotta run, you gotta seal yourself off in the castle, and he just does all the ice sculptures, and we know that, that it's her and the snow blows out. So it's actually a Christmas movie. Yeah, that's more of a Christmas movie than Tremlins. <laughs> like, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even think of that. 
uh, I never, I've never really thought of Edward Scissorhands as a Christmas movie. I mean, it's definitely something I would, wa- I'd be more inclined to watch in the winter because of the snow. But yeah, it never really occurred to me. But again, you could watch it at any other time of year. Did Tim Burton have to tell the story that way? He needed a catharsis. He needed something mm-hmm. to start the the tale off with. And what better thing than Christmas? And that's, I, I think that's kind of a thing as well because. With a lot of these movies, Christmas just seems like a good backdrop for the story. Right. Like looking at Batman Returns. If you look at Batman Returns, it takes place during Christmas. Specifically, a good chunk of, chunk of it takes place during Christmas Eve. Right. And there's something about that juxtaposition with Gremlins, with Batman Returns, where you have all this chaos that's happening at Christmas time. And I'll be honest with you, I think the idea of a Batman movie taking place at Christmas looks great. It really, Batman really suits the, the kind of the Christmas aesthetic. But when you look at this film, does it need to take place at Christmas? Well, not really. Yeah, they have the whole subplot of Cobblepot running for mayor. Fine. But that didn't have to happen in December. No, it didn't. And a lot of times a movie will throw something in because they are purposely releasing it at Christmas time. When I think about the Adams Family movie, they had that scene where they're going to pour the boiling oil on the carolers. Now, right. that's direct from a Charles Adams uh, New Yorker cartoon, right from the, the comics that Charles Adams did. So they tried to put as much of that into it. But why did they start with that? Well, they started with it because they put it out on Christ- at Christmas time. No, that makes sense. And I think that, that kind of speaks to the whole marketing aspect of Christmas because there are movies that are marketed as Christmas movies even though really are they and one of the big things that comes to mind in my mind are the Hallmark movies oh yeah so with the Hallmark movies I mean we know we've seen the memes we know how the plots go it's about some woman who's trying to get away from her rich snobby husband and meets the the cookie maker or the 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 log guy, whatever, whatever. The handsome guy. The handsome guy from her hometown who sweeps her off her feet and they have a wonderful Christmas together and all that stuff. And, you know, even the titles, like the Christmas Carousel, a Christmas Cookie, a Christmas, they just force Christmas into it and they force it at Christmas. They're very cheap to make. They're very easily done. We're not ripping on it if you enjoy it. Don't come for us. If you enjoy it, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you're inundated with this stuff and it starts from November and carries on, it's a far cry from what Hallmark used to be. Well, and that's true. Like, at this point, they're basically no better than an old-school grindhouse film. Well, yeah. I mean, I mentioned to you in our pre-discussion before we started recording, uh, and I forget the name of the, the movie, so please bear with me on that. It starred Neil Patrick Harris and Debbie Reynolds. And it was a Hallmark Christmas movie. And it was a wonderful Hallmark Christmas movie because it wasn't about romance. It was actually about Neil Patrick Harris coming back because his grandfather, his grandparents raised him, has passed away. And he is going to basically put all of his affairs in order. The grandfather ran a real estate agency in this small town. And he hires this guy who's supposed to make it more profitable, make it more commercial, etc., etc. But then they find out that the grandfather may have had an affair ongoing. And so they start investigating this. And it turns out that the grandfather wasn't having an affair. The story is about Neil Patrick Harris's journey with his grandmother 
trying to find out what is going on. And when they do find out what's going on, the grandfather gets painted in such a wonderful different light. What he meant to the community, what he meant to the people that worked for him, how things went. And so at the end of the movie, there is this twist to it. He wasn't having an affair with this woman, but he was looking after. He was making sure that she was taken care of. It turns out that the woman that the grandfather was looking after, making sure that she was cared for, was in a nursing home. And this woman caused the car accident that killed Neil Patrick Harris's parents. And so the movie is about forgiveness. It's about everything that Christmas is supposed to teach us. And Debbie Reynolds has the opportunity to go to this woman, hold her hand, and say, I forgive you too. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful story. So this is what Hallmark used to be. And now it's like, I'm going to go home because I'm just unsatisfied with my life. I'm gorgeous. I'm going to meet this gorgeous hunk. I bake cookies. I bake gingerbread. There's a carousel in town. I don't know. It's cheap entertainment. That's all it is. It's, I, it's barely a Christmas movie. It's cheap entertainment. But again, if you enjoy that, all the power to you. Now, going back to that movie you were talking about. But quick question before we do that. Are you saying that these are Christmas movies or not Christmas movies? What uh, That's the discussion. What are you saying about them? They're technically Christmas they movies. They are technically Christmas movies because and but they're they're written in a contrived way to be sold during Christmas. Yes, and that's the thing. Are they actually about Christmas? Well, they're about making money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Hallmark makes a ton of money off these things. Yeah. Funny anecdote about that. Christmas morning. One Christmas morning, I had to work. I came home. Nobody was up yet. I'm flipping through the channels, and I saw an actor friend of mine in one of these things. And it cracked me up because he's going across the scene, and he's got nothing but this great big bow in front of him as his character is pretty much buck naked. <laughs> going through with this bow and I saw that and I ha I sat there and went is that my friend and so I texted him and I said is this you in this woman's network Christmas movie he said yeah that's me that was me I did that so uh, the things we do for a paycheck oh, it was a wonderful <laughs> giggle <laughs> all right so let's go back to the theme of forgiveness so the theme of forgiveness it there is one of those ideas that we see consistently in Christmas films. And the progenitor of that, I'm going to say, as well as a few other things, is really a Christmas carol. Because with Ebenezer Scrooge, it's not just his journey to become a better person. He also has to get the forgiveness for, from the people in his life that he's wrong. Mm -hmm. His nephew and Cratchit, specifically. Christmas Carol is one of my favorite stories. With A Christmas Carol, I have a yearly trifecta, which is now turned into a quartet. So every year I watch A Muppet Christmas Carol, which I love. I watch Patrick Stewart's Christmas Carol, which is, I mean, it's Patrick Stewart. Like, how can you go wrong with that? And I watch Scrooged. Scrooge with Bill Murray is absolutely fantastic. And now I've added The Christmas Carol with George C. Scott, because George C. Scott is an acting god. And these movies are so good, but like you look at the themes and how they've impressed themselves upon modern films and modern Christmas films. Like you can look at movies like, say, The Santa Claus. Does it really have these themes of being kind and forgiveness and all that? 
Or is it just about a movie about a guy who's turning into Santa Claus? Well, you know, and that's the interesting thing, because you mentioned about Charles Dickens, you mentioned about A Christmas Carol, and there's a movie, you can see it on Netflix right now, the movie came out um, starring Christopher Plummer, and it's called The Man Who Invented Christmas, and it's about Charles Dickens' journey in writing A Christmas Carol, and Christopher Plummer plays his phantom idea of what Ebenezer Scrooge is. Really? Yeah, and it's a fantastic movie to watch. But it's interesting to see that a lot of the modern traditions that we have came from this idea that Charles Dickens had created. Because yeah. Christmas Day wasn't really the big holiday that it is now. But it's interesting, too. And I'm, I'm going to put this as a disclaimer, folks. We're not saying you cannot enjoy Christmas if you're not religious. We're not saying that at all. We're, we understand that a lot of these traditions come from the pagan roots of the Christmas tree, the wreath, and all that sort of thing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying in this point is that I think that there has been some dilution of Christmas along the way. Will you take that idea of the birth of Christ out of it? Because that's what Jesus was supposed to represent. He was supposed to represent forgiveness. He was supposed to represent charity to your fellow man. He was supposed to represent all of these things that Dickens talks about. And when you look at the three spirits, they are actually an embodiment of the different stages of Christ's life. You know, where you have the uh, light coming into the world with the ghost of Christmas past. Ghost of Christmas present, you've got the... The holly wreath, which represents the crown of thorn and the light, and his time is very short because Christ only lived to be about 33 years old. And then you have the ghost of Christmas yet to come, who is a shroud. So that shroud, of course, is representing the shroud that Jesus was buried in. Right. So again, not saying that you can't enjoy Christmas without religion. Right. I'm not saying that, but I think we're starting to lose a lot of the... Uh, tales of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas and a lot of what made Christmas such a wonderful day when we start moving away from those things because we want it to be just sort of a representative of whatever. We want it to be... Go ahead, Nick. Well, and you can look back at things like Hallmark for that because they have this formulaic story that they use for every single movie and it's not a really, I mean, are they about Christmas? Well, not really. It's about some woman finding the love of her life. And that dilutes the whole idea of Christmas. Like, if we look at A Christmas Carol, and we look at the themes in there, let's talk about kindness. And let's talk, let's go back to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, right? So, you have Chevy Chase, you have Clark Griswold, and... What's he trying to do? As you said earlier, he's trying to provide a good Christmas for his family. That is him trying to be a good person and be kind. He does some crappy things, whatever, but he's still trying to be a good dad. So it falls under that idea of kindness. If you look at even some of the more outliers, like gremlins, well, okay, Hoyt Axton, uh, Billy's dad, goes and gets him a random gift from Chinatown. That is him being kind. That is him being a good dad. Um, even going further into the movie, you've got uh, you got Kate working for free at the bar. She's being kind. She's it's a being, charitable act. And if you look at Die Hard, well, John McClane is being charitable and doing the Los Angeles <laughs> Police Department's job for them. So, yeah, you have these movies that are kind of outliers, but they still have some of the themes in there to just to make it feel 
more like a Christmas movie. Yeah, but within that theme really is the one that says, you know, Gremlins being an allegory for all the commercialism that was going on in the 80s. I mean, the people fighting tooth and nail to get a Cabbage Patch Kid for goodness sake. So you, you have all of that in there where at the end of these Christmas stories, like in A Christmas Carol, like in Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's not about the presents and the trappings. It's about something more. Right, exactly. And when we take away that something more, then what are we left with? The presents. Right. So if you look at, I saw this Disney special that was put on last year. Now, partly it was because we were in the COVID-19 pandemic. But when I watched it, it was very stereotypical Disney where everybody had had their smiles pretty much nail gunned to their cheeks wide and they were wearing matching pajamas and they were singing all these songs like jingle bells and jingle bell rock and all this kind of stuff and it was very very cookie cutter and very disney and it really as i watched it i went what is this well and that's the thing and as we mentioned before the as i mentioned to you before the podcast started disney has a very specific saccharine sweet flavor to it and that's very present in those type of movies and even going back to the wonderful world of disney which had its classics fine but even the disney channel movies from when i was a kid you can you can tell without even looking at the credits that is a disney movie and that goes towards the whole commercialization of christmas because you have a pre-planned formula of how these people are going to do their thing and we're going to make money off of it. The commercial, the commercialism isn't just people killing themselves for Cabbage Patch dolls or Tickle Me Elmo or whatever, Furbies. It's, it's all, it's everything. And it's how these movies that are made affect the overall holiday yeah there's a wonderful movie put out many many years ago it was uh i think in the 1980s now this is before freddy krueger was who freddy krueger was and it was called mr krueger's christmas and it starred jimmy stewart and it was about uh, a janitor in a building who was lonely he was very lonely and but that didn't uh, stop his spirit for christmas because one of the scenes is somebody is bringing in a christmas tree and there's needles everywhere and he says oh i'm sorry about that mr kruger and jimmy stewart as as, as mr kruger sits there and goes oh no this is not a problem i don't mind sweeping up twice for christmas and he the only thing that he has is this sort of dreamlike quality where he is conducting the mormon tabernacle choir and they're singing all these beautiful songs so what happens in the story is that there's a little girl that lives in the building and they come to realize that we've been ignoring this wonderful, charitable man who looks after our building, and we haven't even taken the time to notice that he is by himself and that he is alone. So they invite him to come with them to Christmas activities and Christmas dinner and so forth and so on. And it's a wonderful, warm story. But you don't have stories like that anymore. What you have now is like Elf. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, Elf is one of those movies I really have never watched. And I know everybody loves this movie. I'm just, it's never really appealed to me because it's Will Ferrell at his absolute feralness. <laughs> like, he's completely, I've seen trailers of it, I've seen clips of it, 
and I know he's completely off the chain, and I don't like Will Ferrell when he's completely off the chain. However, I might give it a try this year, because John has told me that while it is Will Ferrell completely off the chain, he's st- it's still a really, really good film. It's a cute story. Uh, we're not ripping on Elf. It's actually become a, a holiday classic now. What I love about Elf is that Will Ferrell did what is very one of the impossible things for me. I don't laugh a lot at comedies unless it really, really tickles me. And he did the one thing that happened in a, a Christmas Vacation, and Will Ferrell did it to me for Elf. There is a scene in both these movies that no matter how many times I see them, I laugh myself silly. Okay, so now I have to see it. Because it's the absurdity of it. And you know the scene I'm talking about because I've mentioned it before. Right. And I'm going to tell people it is the scene in Elf where he downs a two liter of, I think it's Coca-Cola, and he just downs it. And then later on, he lets out the most ridiculously loud and lengthy belch in movie history. And I, and he says, did you hear that? And it cracks me up every time, because how could you not hear that? Just the absurdity of it. So I bring Elf up because, yes, it's a Christmas movie. Yes, it's a fun Christmas movie. But it starts. To, we start to see the dilution of Christmas over the decades, which brings us to a wonderful Disney movie. I'm not crapping on the movie, but Frozen. Disney has Christmified that as much as they possibly can. Not the movie itself, but the idea of having Elsa and Anna and Olaf and the reindeer and all that kind of stuff. There is nothing about Christmas in Frozen. Not a thing. It even takes place in the summertime. Right. I mean, it has the aesthetic. I mean, you look what they're wearing, you look at the reindeer, you look at the snow, was it Olaf? Yeah. Like, it all looks very Christmassy, but it isn't. No, there's nothing about... Christmas in this at all, but Disney had the popularity of it, and they marketed it as Christmas as much as they could. They took as many of the characters as they could to to do these Christmas presentations with them, even though there's not one shred of Christmas in it. And you look at what they have as far as merchandise goes. You have the advent calendars. You have the the Christmas baubles, all that stuff. I'm pretty sure there's a... a dancing, singing Olaf that's on the same shelf as the the singing Santa Clauses. Like, it's all there, but even though it's not a Christmas film. Yeah, because Disney wants to own as many holidays as they possibly can because it's a moneymaker for them. They do it with Halloween. Yeah, 100%. Now, don't want to really get into the whole Halloween thing, but yeah, like, you look at what Disney does for Halloween. They They have a double market there with The Nightmare Before Christmas because they can sell merchandise from that for Halloween, and they can sell it for Christmas as well. Exactly, and that was, you know, brings up a point, because when Nightmare Before Christmas was first put out, Disney really didn't have a lot of faith in putting it out under the Disney label, so they put it out under their Touchstone label. Right. So they've kind of shied away from that, and they've been for years trying to figure out how they can own Christmas, and Frozen, just due to its popularity, was the ticket. It really was. I I remember when it first came out, and it was a big hit sensation, and everybody loved it. But I just, I, I saw enough times to understand that it wasn't a Christmas movie. Yeah. And I just did not understand why people latched onto it as a Christmas movie, other than the fact there's snow in it. 
Well, and, and that's the thing. Like the, the whole thing is, is that Frozen is supposed to be based on the Hans Christian Andersen story. I think it's Hans Christian Andersen. Don't, yeah. don't come at me if I'm wrong. About the Snow Queen. Elsa was actually supposed to be the villain of the piece. Yeah. What they did was write, don't get me wrong, I love Frozen. I think it's great. But in terms of this discussion, in terms of what Disney has done with it, in terms of watering down and diluting Christmas, this is a prime example of it. It's, it's when the medium is completely watered down like that that allows for others to come along and go, well, this is a Christmas movie. Well, it really isn't, but here it is anyway. To me, that's a problem. It is a problem. It becomes problematic. Like I said, once you start stripping away everything that is about Christmas, then you're left with pretty much just the saccharine, the saccharine sugary product that I alluded to earlier with that Christmas special that Disney put out. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, how are you supposed, as an audience member, as somebody who's watching this, how are you supposed to watch a movie like this and disseminate it as a Christmas film when all that's there is just the look? Well, let's go back into the 1960s for a minute, where you had guys like Perry Como and you had Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, and they were doing these Christmas specials. And yes, the, the backdrop was in a studio somewhere. Yeah. But they brought in their families. They were singing songs. They were having merriment. And it always culminated with them singing something like Silent Night or Hark the Herald Angels Sing or, or some hymnal type of Christmas song. You know, and it's kind of weird how that type of thing has evolved. Because when you see one of those old school kind of Christmas specials where it's the host and they're in a log cabin and... Their friends are coming in. Now they're comedy specials. Yeah. Like, and I mean, like, parody comedy specials. Right. Like the Stephen, the Stephen Colbert one. And there's none that are done in a serious uh, fashion as a musical variety show. Well, I mean, musical variety shows are dead now anyways. Yeah. But that's basically it. But that's what I mean. Like, this, uh, this one that I, I'm alluding to, it's like, it felt so disingenuous to me. It felt really fake because... It looked really fake because uh, I think Julian Huff was in it, and I'm not ripping on her. She's a lovely actress and dancer and singer and what have you. But, you know, like you see them kind of dancing away, and they're like, oh, and they've, like I said, they've got the smile stapled to their cheeks, and everything is perfect, and everything is rosy, and everything is wonderful. And it just really felt fake. Right. And to be fair, it was fake. It was, and it was a big put-on, whereas... Perry Como would sit there and he would talk to you and he'd say, "Oh, you know, we're we're this is we're coming to you from." Uh, I, I think he did one where they were actually in Williamsburg or something. So they talked about colonial Christmas time in in uh, the United States of America. Right. You know, so there was actually some point and some things to it other than just the fact that okay, the network has to put out a Christmas special and who's popular. Well, and that's that's the thing, right? Like. These things were made, they were crafted to entertain people. At the end of the day, the, the, the production company, the TV studio, what have you, wants to make money. But they never, there was a point in time where the product was not put before the profit. The product, the profit came with the product. But now the profit is put before the product, and now we have crap. Yeah, and you know, it gets back to what McClellan said about the medium being the message. This was uh, the medium of television was not that old, uh, even in the 1970s when I was a child. But I remember one particular special with Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, I'm pretty sure it was them, 
and they raised money and toys for these kids in the sick children's hospital. And that was the whole point of the special. It built up to that. Right. And when we're talking about the dollar value, I forget what the dollar value was. But if you're looking at that dollar value in today's society, it's over a couple million dollars yeah. that they raised for these kids in, in sick children's hospital to give them a Christmas, to give them toys. And it wasn't about like, my favorite thing is baking gingerbread and dancing on the counter. Well, that's the thing. I don't. I remember when I was younger, they had the telethons. I don't, I don't know if they do them anymore. Well, this wasn't even a telethon. This was basically like our good friends at this toy company has given us all these toys. And right, we, we've matched right. this money and we've done this. And this money's coming out of my pocket. I'm Dean Martin cutting you a check. You know, that's what it was. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so that, again, we can't tell you what makes Christmas for you. If that's what makes Christmas for you, then please, by all means, enjoy that. If... Your Christmas is reliant on Hans Gruber falling from the Nakatomi Plaza. I'm not taking that away from you. Because, Nick, as we've discussed, some people, they watch The Sound of Music at Christmas. Yeah, there are some people who watch The Wizard of Oz at Christmas. Like, to be fair, if you like to sit down and watch the Alien movies on Christmas... Weird flax, but more power to you. Go ahead. Enjoy that. Enjoy whatever you're doing, but just stop and think what the season is supposed to represent. Whether you are celebrating Hanukkah, whether you're celebrating Diwali, whether you're celebrating Yule, or whether you're celebrating Christmas, at this time of year, it's a time of year for reflection. It's a time of year to think about your fellow man, and it's a time of year to do those charitable acts and to seek the forgivenesses that maybe of the sins that have been committed throughout the years or the past year and start afresh. Yeah. I feel like at this point we should start breaking into a rousing rendition. I'll put a little love in your heart from the end of Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I get what you mean. Like a lot of these movies like Scrooge. I love Scrooge because of it has that message. One of the things that, that Frank Cross says at the end is, You'll get that feeling in your heart. You'll want it all year. And the point of that movie was that the proceeds were going to help fight apartheid. Right, yeah. And I believe I believe still no profit has been made from that movie. All the all of the, the sales from that movie still go towards charity. That, that very well could be true. Um, Nick, I want you to tell our listeners, because not everybody necessarily knows this, there is a wonderful Christmas special that is in the UK. It's very big in the UK. It would be like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer here. Yeah. Called The Snowman. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So The Snowman is a very wonderfully animated cartoon that I enjoyed as a small child. Uh, about half an hour long. It's not a, It's not very long. It's about a boy that makes a snowman, obviously, and it magically comes to life. And they go on a, an adventure flying around the world. And it's just a really neat little story. Um Throughout the story, you know, they go to different landmarks around the world. They see other living snowmen, and they come across Father Christmas. Absolutely brilliant little piece of work. Great music. The this the kind of highlight song is "Walking in the Air," which is a gorgeous little song that really really helps push the movie forward. Gives it a great backdrop. But yeah, like I I love that film when I was a kid growing up. A little different to what I got exposed to when I when I moved to North America. But very, very great. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting too, some of the 
um, specials and Christmas um, stories that have kind of gone the way of the dodo now. They don't get aired anymore. It's hard to find them. Uh, there was one that came around Christmas time when I was a kid. It was, I think it was called The Angry Giant. It's so it's a wonderful story where the giant kind of shuts himself up, uh, chases the kids out of the his garden, and the winter and the hail and the sleet and the ice, all these wonderful characters come and just batter his castle and batter everything because it's like, we can stay here forever because there's all this coldness and all this terrible thing. And then, you know, there's, again, the Christ allegory comes into yeah. into play. And the giant sees what he's done and he opens up his heart and opens up the garden to the children again. It becomes a wonderful place to play. But you never see stories like that anymore. Now it's it's stories about an elf farting or an elf belching or, you know, e even ones like the year, uh, the year without Santa Claus, mm -hmm. and they did sort of a, not really a remake, but a sequel called The Miser Brothers, which kind of sucked. Really, like, I I like those old Rankin Bass cartoons. I love Rudolph Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, what is your favorite Christmas story? Christmas Carol. Yeah. Honestly, uh, every like every Christmas Eve, I will sit down and watch Scrooge. I will sit down and watch Christmas Carol and Muppets Christmas Carol. Right. Every year. And now I've added, uh, I think I mentioned it before, I've added uh, George C. Scott's uh, Christmas Carol, which is great. I love it. Those are my all-time favorite Christmas movies. Um, again, Gremlins as well. Right. Uh, for, me, you? for me, I, I, I grew up on those Rankin-Bass cartoons. They had some great villains in those cartoons. Oh, I know. And I, not just the Christmas ones, but let's talk about the Christmas villains. You had the Burgermeister. You had um, Jack Frost. He started off as a villain and then became one. You have Bumble, the abominable snowman. Just really marvelous villains. And sometimes they weren't even villains. Sometimes they were just a little bit of an antagonist in the Miser Brothers as an example. And that is a great song that gets played around this Christmas, the Heat Miser, um, yeah. Snow Miser song. Um, so I do love those, but my all-time favorite Christmas story is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But caveat here, because there's three versions now, it is the original with Chuck Jones that he animated, told by Boris Karloff, sung by... Uh, Thurl Ravenscroft, I think is yeah, the, I believe so. Yeah, is the gentleman's name. He, he voiced Tony the Tiger. I hope I got his name right. And it's it's the pure story that Doctor Seuss put out. Yeah, I liked the Jim Carrey version, the live action version with Ron How that Ron Howard directed, um, because again, it remains pure. I really do not recommend the latest one, The Grinch. Although they chose the right actor to voice the Grinch, Benedict Cumberbatch. But this talking about diluting something, oh my God, it's not, it's, that story is completely off the, the wall with where it should be. They even invented these characters that didn't need to be there, like the fattest oh. reindeer ever. Why? And it, and it was ridiculous. Uh, and I, again, I'm not trying to just, you know, be a Grinch, but I love that pure story of how, the Grinch is the Grinch, and he can't stand listening to the noise of Christmas, and his heart is shrunken down, and then he realizes when the Who starts singing without their presence and without their their trappings and without their feast, 
that it's still Christmas and that there is a warmth there and that there is a marvelousness there and something that the Grinch hadn't thought of and then his heart grows. And what's interesting about that story is that's semi-autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Theodore Giesel, Dr. Seuss, had admitted that the Grinch, he was the Grinch. He just couldn't stand the noise of the kids around. And and then he had to stop and think about what it is that Christmas means. And he says, it doesn't mean this. It means this. And then his own heart yeah. warmed up and opened to it. So I'm just going to go back a little bit. I just want to talk about my favorite version of A Christmas Carol. Sure. So my favorite, it's tough because I do adore The Muppet Christmas Carol. It is a gorgeous movie. Michael Caine is brilliant in it. Um, He actually accepted the role under the provision that he got to play the character straight. Right. And I love that. But my favorite is the Patrick Stewart Christmas Carol because I just love Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart did a one-man show of A Christmas Carol on, on, uh, on stage. And he did that for about 10 years. And that clearly informed his portrayal of this movie. Because he, when you're, when you're watching Patrick Stewart, first time you see him, oh, hey, it's Captain Picard. Or, oh, hey, it's Professor X. But he really, really loses himself in that role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loses himself. Uh, Richard E. Grant plays Bob Cratchit. And Richard E. Grant is another brilliant actor. The movie is just filled with wonderful performances. It was a TNT made-for-TV movie when it first came out. And the effects are lacking because of that. But it still has some really, really striking visuals. It was actually one of the first movies that showed me some of the visuals from the books that I had not seen in any other it, film it, you know what? I agree with you. It does have some very striking visuals in it because one of the visuals that I absolutely remember is Joel Grey as the Ghost of Christmas Past. Right. He looks so... Like, he looks ghastly, but he also looks friendly as and well. And he also looks androgynous, which is what yeah. that ghost is supposed to yeah. look like. Yeah. For me, speaking of Christmas Carol, I really gravitated to the George C. Scott version. It's so good. Because I just loved, again, the images of the spirits in there. It's not my favorite... My favorite actually is the musical Scrooge with Albert Finney. Right. I just love the songs in it. I love the theatrics of it. I watch that. I pretty much save that as my last Christmas movie to watch. And again, it's just, it's just a richness to this story. And it's probably the Christmas story that has been told so many different times, Mm -hmm. so many different ways by so many different actors and companies. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, the, the holiday movies don't just stop. At Christmas. So there are certain movies that I will watch in the week in between Christmas and New Year's. It's kind of, they're not New Year's movies, but I kind of watch them with the eye. Like Gremlins 2, one, it's a great companion because Gremlins, and it does have, because it's New York, because it's the Big Apple, and you have that big New York, New York scene, uh, musical scene at the end, it does feel like a New Year's movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, Batman Returns is when I'll typically typically watch Batman Returns at that point, as well as Jaws of Revenge, because, eh, why not? Yeah, and you know, there's a few movies that take place on New Year's Eve, too. Yeah. Uh, While You Were Sleeping with Sandra Bullock, nice little romantic comedy, takes place over the Christmas season and New Year's. The Poseidon Adventure, one of my all-time favorite movies, happens on New Year's Eve, to our point earlier. Uh, could that have happened at any other time? Yes. 
but there's a smartness to setting it on New Year's Eve when everybody is celebrating and everyone is looking forward to the new things and the new year and what's going to happen. And then right at the stroke of midnight comes that tsunami that capsizes the boat, and now it's a struggle for survival. Right. Well, Nick, it's been a really interesting discussion that pretty much everybody's favorite time of the year. Yeah. And and I think just to reiterate the points that we've talked about, I think in order for something to be a Christmas movie, it the point of the movie has to be Christmas or some semblance thereof. But also at the end of the day, we're not going to dictate that to people, so it's also going to be personal preference. Absolutely. Before we go, a couple things we want to mention. Ron Howard and Clint Howard have a new book out. If you're looking for a last-minute Christmas present, this might be something that you might want to get a fan of pop culture and movies in your life. It's called The Boys. It's about Ron Howard and Clint Howard's life growing up as children in Hollywood and in the Hollywood scene. And Nick, you were going to tell us about that new Star Wars game that we saw the trailer for. Star Wars Eclipse. Oh my god, that looks good. The trailer was amazing. Like, Hollywood needs to take note. That's how you make a trailer. No, that's how you make a movie. I want to see that as a movie. Never mind the crap that they've given us. I want to see that as a movie. So here's what I know. This is being made by the same people that made Detroit Become Human. It's going to be a narrative-driven game. It's going to be based about 200 years before The Phantom Menace during what's called the High Republic Era. Now, I don't know who it's going to revolve around. We don't know if it's going to be around a Jedi, someone else, one of those weird Voldemort-looking creatures that were playing the drums. But it looks absolutely fantastic. It looks great, and I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. The suspected release date is going to be sometime in 2023, maybe. But yeah, it looks beautiful. Oh my god, we have to wait that long? Yeah, well... Yeah, that was an announcement trailer. It can take oh, some time between announcement trailer and That release. is a tease to beat all teases. It's going to be available on, I believe, PC, Xbox, and PlayStation. Listen, man, I'm getting older. I might not have that kind of time. Bring <laughs> it out now. It's gorgeous. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's. It. I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait to play it. Well, faithful listeners, that's all the time that we have for today. Certainly hope that uh, you've enjoyed this episode of Area 51 and a Half. Nick, before we go, how can they reach us? Well, they can contact us on Twitter or Instagram at the Area 51H. You can check us out on Twitch, also at the Area 51H. This is John Allen and Snyderman 501 Nick Snyder wishing you all a happy holiday and Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah, I am really looking forward to that Star Wars game. It just looks right. fantastic. It's so good. Um, it's... Well, you might actually enjoy it. It's a quick time of last time.